everybody and welcome to the EC Method. I am one of your coaches, Chloe Maidley. And I am your other coach, Emma Story Gordon. Our goal at the EC Method is to encourage, educate and empower you to get the results that you've always wanted. Listen to our weekly podcasts, go to our website, theecmethod.co.uk or simply follow us on Instagram to get more information. obviously done this thing where she you know you can rent out a private jet just to take like influencer photos of you on a private jet did you know that this is a thing no no right so she's obviously done it and now I'm contemplating on following her because I'm like this is just <laughs> yeah like when people rent away. really nice cars and they're like look at me in my really <laughs> nice car <laughs> loads, of, like, loads of fitness boys do it and I'm like pipe the fuck down <laughs> anyway we're live now hi team yeah, Hi team, how is, I hope everybody's enjoying the snow. I had a whale of a time with my dog yesterday. Emma, is it snowing where you are? Do you know what's so weird? Like obviously Scotland normally gets snow and England really never get that much. We don't have any, nothing. Oh, well. But I'm quite do. glad I like despise the cold so much. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Like training in the gym this morning, lifting up. Do you know, I don't mind because my body gets hot like quickly, like I'm really thermogenic. No, I'm joking. My body gets hot. I'm just naturally really hot, so I'm just yeah, it's just the way I'm built. But I um every time I go to pick up a fucking weight, it's so cold that my fingers turn to ice and I'm like, oh my god. So I have this like little I recommend this to anyone who's got like a little garage gym or whatever, like a little kind of semi-outdoor setup. I got this little air heater, it's like cheap as chips, and like it's it's pretty substantial and I just put all my weights in front of it while I did like a body warm-up and by the time I lift them up they were all nice and warm and I was toasty too (laughs) that is a good idea actually I never thought of putting the weights near the heater yeah yeah not just a pretty face Chloe I'm not even but you know what uh guys actually Emma and I wanted to discuss with you before we go into the questions Emma tell them the sad truth wait what self-assessment questions are coming through to us (laughs) no what's weird is i have eight like so (laughs) some of them have gone through i think there might be something wrong but anyway we we actually have loads of questions because i've got them from the group but if you're like oh my question didn't get answered it's because we didn't get it so i'm gonna put up a post up for the rest of the week where there will be you can just put your questions in there guys most like there should be also um you get sent back your no actually that won't work doesn't matter ignore me so you put the questions on the post and we'll make sure we answer them but we've got loads to get through just now yeah i think that's what emma and i might do going forward guys it might keep it easier for us and simpler if they're just on the facebook group under a questions post every week um but just to keep it really clear and this isn't to be militant or feel i don't we, we don't want you to feel shortchanged at all of our coaching but if you can keep it succinct then that means that we can go through the questions really succinctly, give you succinct answers and people aren't like dying. Of How many times halfway. are you going to say succinct? 10 times more. Keep it succinct, yeah? So we can keep it succinct. And then keep it succinct, yeah, fam? Right. Um, and people listening won't be like, oh, I don't care how much weight you lifted last week. Because like trying to keep it fair to everyone. So yeah, if that makes sense, that's what I do with my clients and it makes it a lot more enjoyable listening and coaching agreed right first question i'm gonna so basically halfway through it says sorry for the ramble here's my question so i'm just gonna start there i carry a lot of weight on my bum and thighs 
this has continued to be a real problem with my body confidence. No matter how small I've been in the past, I have always felt massive in that area. At, and then in brackets, at best, just trying to accept it. At worst, fantasizing about cutting it all off. What tends to happen is I get really small upper body, but the fat is just so attached to my ass and thighs that it won't <laughs> budge. It's an area of struggle for, for me, and I wonder if I am finally eating enough protein, am I potentially going to maintain upper body muscle and finally lose my lower body? I have weight trained for over five years, and I'm hoping there's some definition under there. Thank you both for the wonderful plan. So this was interesting because this was put in the group and so many people commented under being like, this is exactly me. And I'm not surprised I'm not because- surprised. yeah like this is how females generally store their body fat like we store more body fat around our hips and our lower body like that's your typical pear-shaped woman there's nothing you can do about where you store that body fat and what does tend to happen when people have successful fat loss is that well women especially get quite lean upper body and almost like to the point of being too lean and you even see this in like elite level well maybe not elite level but like bodybuilding shows like I always see this they'll do the back pose and it's like incredible upper back like so impressive but no definition down like lower in the body and it's just where women store fat like there is to an extent I mean obviously you can diet more and there there is things you can do and you're already doing the right thing so you're building your upper body so that you've got more muscle on your upper body and it doesn't look like you're quite gaunt or skinny upper body. So that's exactly right what you're doing. But realistically, you will always be predisposed to storing for more fat around your lower body. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a few points on this. First and foremost, 99.9% of women, isn't not all, but it is a general rule. Most women store the vast majority of their body fat on their lower body, as in bum, um, kind of backs of the legs, fronts of the legs. Also, um, triceps, funnily enough, is also weirdly an area that women really store fat. Um, So first and foremost, this is normal. It's how we are built. To add to that, this is obviously when you're talking about getting kind of a leaner upper body and then still really holding that fat on your lower body. This is what we would call pear shaped. Now, as somebody who is not pear-shaped, I would love to be pear-shaped. So uh, I can understand why you might find this frustrating, and I'll go more into that in a second. But um, I actually personally, and this won't change anybody's opinion on their own body, but I personally think it's a fucking sexy, nice body shape to have for a woman. Yeah, absolutely, Uh, me too. And I think that kind of proves the point of like, you'll always look at someone else and be like, oh, I wish I had that body like I'm like straight up and down like I remember someone like trolling me being like you look like a prepubescent boy and I was like that's actually quite an accurate representation of my body which like and and I can laugh at that but like it is true like you'll probably always look at someone else and be like oh I wish I had those curves and they're probably looking at you being like oh I wish I could get lean lower body sorry continue Um, no, no, no. It's great. I've got like my, I saw my fat. I've got, I've got my dad and my brother. Like, I've, I have the genetics of the men in my family, which in some respects is fantastic because my mom really struggles with her weight. Um, and in some respects it's annoying because where I hold fat is typically where men hold fat, which is my lower stomach, my back. Like, yeah, it's just, 
definitely doesn't look good when I'm in shape everywhere and I still have a jiggly belly but whatever I mean everybody can look at someone else and say oh I would much rather have that than what I've got anyway um what I was going to say was so much so is this a real thing for women that in South America and now in North America there's a whole other bodybuilding division for this type of body shape for this woman because it's that prominent and it's called the wellness division and the wellness division is typically for women who have thick lower bodies again I fucking love it and I'm jealous um but find it harder to develop their upper bodies so they get less of that balance but it is how they're genetically built so they've created an entire division for this right which basically this division in and of itself says genetics are real and there's only so much you can do so there's that um and with that comes my final point which is acceptance look we can absolutely try and balance out your physique and what this would mean is in terms of It would basically mean a period of hypertrophy where we look to gain muscle on your upper body. And this would take a good few months. And we really focus on on lifting and your upper body, back, core, shoulders, arms, you know, at least kind of a a three day a a week kind of focus on that area. Maybe with a one day a week focus on lower body, more in a kind of endurance uh, range, less in a hypertrophy range and certainly not in a strength range. Um, And then obviously when we go into fat loss, all of that training would remain and we'd aim to keep that training kind of focused there. Um, But obviously you would go into a deficit. Uh, I personally would have you doing kind of a a, a lower body kind of focused cardio that wasn't super resisted um, just to burn more calories and just to kind of utilize that area and then see what happened at the end of it. But final, final point on this, if you are pear-shaped, there is very little that you're going to do in the short and long term to change your body shape because it is your body shape. It's how you're built. Um, and this is where body acceptance is it comes in handy. Emma and I say this all the time. We can work to change your physique, but at the end of the day, for every single one of us, there will come a point where you have to accept your body. Done. <laughs> Agreed. And I think the exciting part is that like most of us are absolutely nowhere near our genetic potential. So like there is yeah. some like you you will probably I mean like let's use me as an example I will never look like a Brazilian model with amazing legs like it's not going to happen but can I be way closer to that than I am now in terms of my leg definition like let's take my back out of this like yes absolutely there's so much training I could do to get closer to that um, mm-hmm. the other like just a couple of points I want to make some people do recommend like training legs less and I understand that in terms of like more time to build your upper body and I probably might sway more towards that but the other thing to remember is it's it's fat storage on your legs like it's not that your legs are massively muscly like I know that it might seem that way but it's usually not it's just that's where you're predisposed to store fat so don't be afraid to still train legs is the other point I would make but then would you say though that if they were to gain substantial muscle on their lower body with the fat as well that would make them feel more insecure because then they're adding size to their lower body or would you just say get on with it and then when we enter fat loss we enter fat loss and we just go for that I think that there's pros and cons to both but I would say that like it's actually quite unlikely like we know how hard it is to build like muscles (laughs) even if you are predisposed to storing more body fat there like it's not going to be like oh you've done if you've done some hip thrusts oh bam now you have massive legs like (laughs) I would say still train them and I would probably still train them in a hypertrophy rep range. But the really good news about all of this, which we've forgot to mention, is that 
storing body fat where we do as women generally, i.e. around our arms, around our legs, is the safest place you can store body fat. Like, yes, this is a, a lot of where the argument comes from of people maybe in the anti-diet camp saying things like, you know, you can be obese, but quote unquote healthy in terms of your metabolic health. And that is absolutely true. And it's usually true in people who store their body fat peripherally. So around their arms yeah. and around their legs, not around their middle, around their organs. So where yeah. you store body fat matters. And in terms of storing body fat, it's really quite a safe place to store body fat. So what you're doing, like if you're carrying still a little bit more around your hips and your bum, it's not, it's not going to impact your health. So that's a good thing. That's a bloody, bloody good, bloody good point. Bl- jolly good point. Okay, right. Next question. <clears throat> this is a this is a four-part question <clears throat> <laughs> as i previously trained during uh using body part splits it felt a little different i used to sort of you sorry i used to sort of used to feel my muscles worked while leaving the gym and slight doms the next morning which would fade away after some movement during the day i haven't had any soreness last week waking up without being sore is making me think I'm under training am I under training in comparison now and is that still okay we've covered this a lot doms does not equal a good workout like that is not how things work and if anything over time it's probably a really good sign that you are overtraining and not adapting well enough or not recovering hard enough from your sessions so let's do you want to say anything else on doms uh no only just to back up emma's very last point like james obviously he's been training forever he really suffers with doms and the reason he really suffers with doms is because he's frequently under recovered and so it's not a good sign at all and it's not going to equal better performance better recovery or better hypertrophy better strength better anything It's, it's probably a good sign that yeah the adaptations are there as long as you know i put something up on my instagram i also put it in the group uh, about fatigue today so have a read of that as long as you know that you're reaching that kind of area of, of technical fatigue just before really but have a read of the post um it doms are insignificant agreed i think the fatigue thing's really interesting because there's there's so much nuance to all of this like it depends on yeah. where you are on your like weightlifting journey and actually yes. if you're quite new to exercise there's really no need to go anywhere near like maximal fatigue as in like you don't need to go to failure whereas if you're quite an experienced lifter you might need to push to failure to get those same adaptations and it works quite well because I'm like I'm sure like from when you think back from training clients who are quite new to the gym like in real life and they're like oh yeah I think that that I think that's my you know I've reached failure there and I'm like you bet you're like you know you haven't like you're nowhere near because they don't know how to push their bodies but the good news is like you don't really need to know how to push your body to that point of failure until you are a little bit more experienced and and by then people are usually quite comfortable being like okay like I know how much more I can do and then you start talking about things like reps and reserve like okay I I know I've roughly got two reps to go here like I'm going to stop here have a little break do another set so yeah um, it's, it's such a good point and just on that like again I say this in the post when you're with a client face to face which obviously Emma and I aren't it's very easy to do this like pretty it's a pretty open shot from session one it's not hard we're not with you guys 
So the irony is, and, and the kind of, what's the word, the contradiction here is, is that exactly what Emma said. If you're brand new to training, it's really not that important that you go to technical failure, or it's not important that it, really that anybody go to technical failure. But because we're not there, and I know from coaching experience, most of you are going to stop before you're at that point, which ironically is ideal because that's when we'd want you to stop anyway. But that's why then we'll say go to that point. Um, so yeah, it's hard. It's really hard when you're not with the client. But there is a method to our madness always. I promise you that. It is interesting though, isn't it? Because you you like you have two people, and it's obviously it's hard to know via the internet who you've got. Like if someone says to me, mm. "We're going to failure," like I remember doing uh, push-ups to failure at uni. And the next day I couldn't, like almost for a week, I couldn't touch my face because I'd like Awful. ripped my triceps. Awful. Because I went to like actual <laughs> failure. So like I couldn't even raise my body yeah. off the ground. Whereas like other people would be like, mm, yeah, I'm quite tired now. Like I'm going to stop. <laughs> yeah. and so failure to one person is completely different. different than failure to yeah. another person. Yeah. Well, I will. This is the best kind of why I did the post. I've been thinking about it for a, for a few weeks now based on someone asked me a question about it the other day based on a study that I that I kind of summarized on my Instagram. And I started thinking about it and I was like, I should probably address this in depth with clients, which Emma and I, again, like we try really hard not to go in depth because sometimes it raises the wrong questions and the wrong concerns and people get really obsessive about the wrong things. But then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I should probably really explain this so people at least have some knowledge to draw on with their own training, like to think about it as they train. But Emma's completely right. Like I did start to think like, well, I'm sure there are people in our group who really fucking know how to train. Maybe, yeah, maybe this is an important post. So I feel like it was a long time coming and I'm happy I finally did it. Right. So go and read that if you haven't already. So part two to this. I used to work out a single body part with three to four variations of 12 reps and three sets on the same day. With the new program, I'm still walk working all of those muscles with the volume being slightly reduced and distributed over four days. Will this adaptation affect my physique? If anything, I think it will be better. Because what yeah. often happens if you're doing like, okay, today's chest day, not only does that mean you're only stimulating ch th those chest muscles once a week, but it also means that you probably saturate the muscle protein synthesis response from those from the exercises you're doing. So the chest muscles after like, I'm going to say like six sets or something on like various exercises, like you don't need to be doing. What was it? Uh, three or four, three or four different exercises on the same muscle group for three sets of 12 oh, God. like that you will have already maximally stimulated the response you're going to get from that muscle. So doing more isn't necessarily better. And I do think this is a hard concept to get your head around because on the one side, we're saying the research shows that the more volume that you can recover from, the better. Like basically mm -hmm. the, the biggest primer for how much muscle you're going to build is volume. Yeah. But it's also the breakdown of that volume over time. So you kind of want to stimulate those responses numerous times a week, which is why we've programmed in a way that you're going to be hitting your chest two or three times a week, as opposed to just once a week. So you can adapt and grow to that. So it's not just the total volume, it's that spaced out. And even if you think about, mm. we, we talk about the exact same thing because it's stimulating the same pathways with protein. If you ate hundred mm. grams of protein at breakfast, I mean, after 25 grams, you will have maximally stimulated the response to muscle protein synthesis. 
Now, mm. if you broke that up throughout the day, you can stimulate that four times with the same amount of mm. protein. Mm. And that's sort of what we're doing with the training response as well, is that we want to hit that muscle group numerous times a week and get that adaptation numerous times a week instead of just once. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, two points on that and and very much in line with what Emma's saying. First and foremost, like you, it is a learning curve that I think everybody has to go through. Uh, you absolutely do not need to be hitting quads for three or four different exercises in your training session. It's completely pointless it's probably going to be detrimental to your results, your recovery, your training, physique, all of it. When I say results, the reason I then go through everything is because I know everyone's doing something different here. But really, like overtraining a muscle group in the session or over time is just completely unnecessary and will be detrimental. You pick one or two fucking killer quad moves, for example, like a front squat and a, and a leg press. Done. Like that's absolutely enough. You don't need to be doing four variations of squats and three variations of leg press stance. No, it's totally unnecessary. So that's the first thing. Second thing, you can argue it either way. If I reduce my volume, is my physique going to suffer? Now, it's not going to suffer in terms of you're not going to lose, you're not going to be catabolic, you're not going to lose any muscle at all, like whatsoever, as long as you're keeping the stimulus on the muscle. There is an argument that by reducing volume, you might be reducing um, progressive overload. However, there does come a time and a place where volume actually should maybe sit tight for a minute and you should be focusing on intensity, which is weight lifted, and then going back into progressive overload via volume is amazing for strength gains and hypertrophy gains. Now, don't you, you shouldn't ever prioritize um, you know, one or, over the other, but it is something to think about. So I have no issue whatsoever if all my clients come back to three sets from four and they're doing six reps from 10, as long as they're increasing that intensity and keeping stimulus on the muscle and potentially increasing the stimulus on the muscle to then go into further volume exactly what emma said over time there's lots of different ways to look at it but is it going to be detrimental to your physique switching it up no the only thing you've said that i think would be detrimental to your physique is the first point which is overtraining one muscle group yeah agreed and i think the way i like to think of this literally goes for almost anything in life is that most things exist on an inverted u curve so like yeah. and and even like the the way that like a small amount of something is like exponentially better like there is a huge benefit from the first set of squats that you do now yeah. the more sets that you do that increment starts to like flatten out so you're looking at the top mm -hmm. of that inverted u and then the mm -hmm. more you do it becomes like like you know that now there's a detriment to that because you're overtraining you've like the peak of maximal recoverable volume would be right at the top of that inverted u but the point i want to make about yeah. that is that the difference between your potential peak in, in maximal recoverable volume and like a few sets short of that is barely anything. Yeah. Whereas the difference between doing no sets and two sets is massive. So yeah. you've got to think about like, what's the cost benefit here? Can I recover from this? Doing more isn't necessarily better, but also doing more gets you progressively less results. Like the magnitude yeah. of those results is reduced all the time. Yeah. All right, um, next question. Oh no, wait, part three. I wasn't using supersets every day, but I've used supersets, but I did a whole superset week every four weeks where I used to do the same workout with supersets. The current program has supersets at the end of all the workouts. Could you tell me the purpose of this? So they're basically like a little circuit at the end to just finish you off. I call them finishers, but in the, yeah. in the app, they're called giant sets or supersets and it's just to add in a little bit more like fitness cardio based stuff 
okay, number four, part four. Since I enjoy some good amount of cardio, I used to do one spin session and one 10k run in between the upper body days over the week. This used to give me a good amount of rest for my lower body, but since the program has full body workouts on all four days, I was wondering if it's still okay to do these sessions as my legs are being used continuously now for six days. I've heard you say that we can be good at both cardio and not damage our gains. So I'm hoping I could continue doing it without being counterproductive if I can fit them all in. Could you please suggest on what days and in between what workouts I can do? Basically, yeah, it would be absolutely fine. Like do if you want to do one day of a workout, one day of a run, one day of a workout, one day spin. Fine. I wouldn't you don't need to overthink that. That's fine. And then sorry, there's part five. (laughs) Also, in general, should we avoid running if our lower bodies are sore from the previous day's workouts? No, I'm I'm absolutely it's not the same. It's not the same stimulus on the muscle. I'm completely happy for you guys to have a rest day from lower body or upper body, and then do something like do a run, spin. I I'm spin. I would it's more resisted than like just going for a run. So I would I don't know. Like I'm still fine with that, but it's maybe just don't have don't hammer the resistance on the spin bike. Um, in terms of going for a run, I'm fine, and it's very different endurance. The kind of resistance training very different. I'm not bothered. Yeah, agreed. You'll actually find in terms of um, worrying about quote unquote ruining your gains, most of the research suggests that cycling is better than running purely because you're not carrying your body weight and there's sort of less. Yeah. yeah so it, in terms of that, it's better. But I get your point in that it's probably closer to resistance training, which is yeah. again why it's not causing you so much of those opposing adaptations. So depending on what your goal is, if you wanted like to be really good at, you know, like running is going to be more aerobic metabolism potentially than cycling or the the adaptations are going to be slightly closer to that side of the spectrum. Yeah, I I think ultimately, guys, it's not it's not something you need to worry about. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) But that's really interesting, by the way, because when I do not spin because I don't do spin because I don't like spin <laughs> but when I do any kind of like bike cardio uh like in and around leg day I find it such a fucking slog whereas it's really interesting because when I do like treadmill or even just like outdoor like maybe and again I don't really run but like jogging or whatever I feel absolutely fine so that's so interesting to know that because that might even well no I mean it's not going to change what I do at all <laughs> but it's still interesting to know it <laughs> yeah I guess it makes a lot of sense like partly yeah. because if you think of the adaptations to running like if you if you look at the extremes of them it makes sense as in you're going to have to carry all that muscle that you have around yeah. the marathon or whatever so you want to be quite light and oh the same is true for cycling but most people if you're doing something like spin you're not really carrying your body weight in the same way that you would no, be if you were cool. like doing the tour de france and cycling up hills so i think yeah that's where the difference is you actually have to carry the excess muscle that you're potentially not using for the activity love it love it okay i do not always meet my protein goals on on a day but i do meet them on the weekly average is that okay no no guys no no protein 
No, protein averages, unless we're talking about, no, just no. <laughs> Calorie averages, step averages, workout averages, all that stuff, that's all fine. No, not workout averages. The two things that need to be, you need to be really focused on in terms of like per intake or session is like your workouts like we've just talked about everything that we've talked about not overtraining a certain muscle group volume intensity workouts throughout the course of the week your rest day we're not working working on averages with workouts so we don't want you doing three workouts a day and then and then doing a weekly average like one a day and the same applies to protein we want you getting you know hitting your 100 grams minimum of protein every single day ideally broken up in no less than 20 gram servings a pot um, so anywhere I'm happy with a bracket between 20 to 50 grams, more than happy um, per serving. But we want it broken up throughout the course of the day to spike muscle protein synthesis. Otherwise, you're simply not doing that. And that's going to impede on your recovery and your results. Emma? Completely agree. It's kind of what we just touched on before, that you want to space yeah. out those stimulations of muscle protein synthesis and you maximally stimulate those. So it's not like the way that you're muscle is within your body or your protein stores are within your body they're in this constant state of turnover which means that you need to constantly be feeding them you can't just be like oh I'll, I'll have all my protein now and save that for later like it doesn't work like that same with your workouts as Chloe was saying like if you do them all in one day it's not the same benefit of spacing them out between the week over the week even yeah okay this is a question out of curiosity and to gain some alternative opinion slash perspective I have seen sporadically in the group questions about the supplement L-carnitine. Quite often, Emma has replied saying that it's not necessary unless you are a vegan or vegetarian. I don't think I've said that, but... BCAAs, you say that about. Yeah. I am currently in a surplus and working towards hypertrophy. I am unable to take creatine due to, its cause, due to it causing an IBS flare-up for me. My husband, who is a nutritionist slash neuroscientist, suggested L-carnitine instead to aid recovery energy levels and to prevent excess fat gain whilst in surplus he said that whilst it is not a substitute for creatine the evidence for l-carnitine has a small but significant effect on the aforementioned i actually listened to him for once and took it for for many weeks until i ran out and quite simply forgot to buy more I would have said that L-carnitine had no effect until recently when I suddenly gained one kilo and my energy took a severe downturn. I thought it was age-related and because my training is geared towards endurance until my husband suggested going back on L-carnitine. I would love to know your thoughts on this and what your experiences are regarding L-carnitine. Emma, I'll let let you go first because I'm very interested to hear your answer to this and see if it correlates with my answer to this. So I've not looked into L-carnitine for ages because as far as I remember when I did look at this there are signaling pathways which are um, stimulated via L-carnitine which which suggests they would be beneficial for like uh, getting energy into cells and turning on um, fat burning processes but it's saturated very quickly and I seem to remember that it was like the the upstream effects were saturated to the extent that it would actually made no difference taking L-carnitine like it's not effectively what it comes down to is it's not the rate limiting thing for fat burning so although it's linked to it like you need a very small amount to to maximally stimulate that response again what we were talking about with protein 
more isn't necessarily better and that yeah. you need a very small amount to do that and I don't I don't think that supplementation is particularly necessary yeah so I would echo pretty much everything Emma has just said and so James used to take it I used to take it now there is absolutely evidence behind it exactly what Emma says that it impacts uh, cell signaling um, in the body and that it can have oxidation uh, effects when it comes to fat burning however this is much like fasted cardio for example this is just an example comparison here evidence shows that you oxidize more adipose tissue body fat if you do say fasted cardio over fed cardio it, it's true and and you know the same similar similar not the same but similar things can be said for alkarnitine However, when you look at the impact uh, that that will have over the, like we always say, let's just do a weekly average. And we can do more than that. We can do less than that. But just for fucking argument's sake, we'll do a weekly average. It doesn't have an overall impact. And the reason it doesn't have an overall impact is because ultimately what it comes down to is energy balance. And also in terms of your training, uh, the focus and programming of said training, ergo, it's not a significant supplement that I, I don't personally think many coaches would want their clients to be taking. Um, so I stopped taking it and I didn't, I, when I started taking it and when I stopped taking it, I didn't see any difference at all. I typically will. And this happened with CBD. I really wanted it to work for me. Again, this has got nothing to do with alcarnitine, but just another kind of thing to think about. I really wanted it to work. And I'm pretty sure that it's kind of got a big placebo effect. Again, there is some evidence backing it up, but nothing clinical, nothing super studied for obvious reasons. Um, and and yeah, it didn't. And I can say the same for, for that supplement. However, your husband isn't necessarily wrong. My nutritionist is an amazing guy called Matt Lovell, who I absolutely love and respect. And he often um, recommends it. But I found from my own experience and my own research that in terms of the big picture, it's not going to have uh, a particularly uh, impactful uh, occurrence. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to word that. But yeah. That's, Gosh, that's how eloquent we are today. Um, <laughs> well, like, I think to summarize that, like if there is an impact, the impact isn't going to be an increased um, fat oxidation because that's saturated quite upstream of this process. But it may like if it gives you more energy and thus you move more then it will obviously impact fat loss however <clears throat> what's going to impact what we know will give you more energy and impact fat loss more is caffeine like yes, if you're looking exactly. for a supplement to take that you want to increase your energy expenditure like i would just go for caffeine it has far more research behind it um yeah, l-carnitine might be used for other things i think it's been used in like people who struggle with different forms of like liver problems like there are benefits to it but fat loss isn't particularly one of them that has any strong evidence behind it yeah it's essentially what we call thermogenics which people you know will rebrand to make them more palatable for the gem pop as you know pre-workouts right and you know emma and i we don't particularly give a crap about pre-workouts because essentially it's caffeine just caffeine um, but why they call them thermogenics is obviously you're going to find that the caffeine is going to increase your heart rate. You're going to find that you have more energy to train. 
uh, with, with this increased heart rate, with this um, kind of extra energy re or training output, you are likely to be burning more calories. And that is why pre-workouts, aka thermogenics, aka any caffeine, is far preferable as a pre-workout, quote unquote, fat burner than anything like, you know, L-carnitine, CLA, all of that stuff. Like you just, yeah. It's- Sorry, I just looked this up on examine because I was like, just wanting to make sure. Really, so the only really like strong evidence is for rate of pregnancy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wait, in what context? So um, it shows strong effects in cases of <laughs> a word that I cannot say, but basically <laughs> sperm quality for men. And Try and say the word. <laughs> Oligoastenoteratozoospermia. <laughs> spermia. Let's just go with spermia. spermia. Basically spermia. Um, <laughs> but also polycystic ovary syndrome for females. However, the effects in females has only been done on one study, so more research is needed. But it does seem yeah. to increase um, sperm quality. Wow, well, let's get it in James. No, <laughs> I don't need a baby James tearing up my insides. Thank you. So, yeah. Okay, well, there we go then. There we go, indeed. Right, the next question. The positivity in the group is wonderful. So many good ideas and lots of support. I've asked in the Facebook group, but your advice around minimizing the binge restrict cycle and changing mindset after years of viewing certain food as good or bad would be helpful okay got emma and i funnily enough we talked about this over whatsapp this morning um obviously there are a hell of a lot of people out there especially women but men and women who struggle with binge eating disorder now for me personally this falls into in my experience i should say this falls into one of two categories you get the people who uh would say what they would terminize uh as self-sabotage they self-sabotage I, I, and, and I understand that that viewpoint and that that kind of title on it but I wouldn't call it self-sabotage I think it is it's born after years and years and years of dieting restricting your food seeing foods as good and bad and it's almost like a, a, a rebelliousness that kicks in hence the self-sabotage and says you know what it's my fucking body it's my fucking choice I'm going to eat what I want and that obviously is going to be uh, more likely to happen if you are overtired if you are, if you're having dieting fatigue, um, and if you kind of, if you're having a bad day, let's, let's say that you're on, it's your cycle, these things, are, and that's when you quote unquote binge eat. And I wouldn't actually call that binge eating because even though the next day you might regret it and feel guilty about it, and we'll talk about that in a second, you consciously made that decision at the time. So I wouldn't call that binge eating actually. Um, and then you get the other kind of binge eating, and this is something completely different. And this is kind of like much more what would fall into a typically like a compulsive substance abuse type of behavior where actually it can be pretty unconscious but a lot of people call it it's almost like a blackout um that's real binge eating and now the latter is where you need to speak to somebody because emma and i are not qualified therapists we can't help you with compulsive behaviors like that the former we can help you with and this is where emma and i've talked about this so many times coming out of a deficit for a significant period of time. And if you really want to be able to have some more free reign, read your calories, read your food intake, go into a hypertrophy phase and we can put you in a slight surplus, which is going to give you a few hundred extra calories, right? It's very, very helpful. And they're going to good use, not only physique-wise, but in terms of actual longevity of life and all-cause mortality, gaining muscle is great. So now you've got an excuse to enhance your life and eat more. Great. 
do this for a substantial period of time. Make sure that you're getting in your quote unquote healthy foods, which is your satiating, nutritious foods, nutrient dense foods like your veg and your protein. And then around that or after that, when you are satiated and you know you've hit your health goals, have your quote unquote treat. There's no good or bad. There's just more nutrient dense and less nutrient dense. But one's probably going to benefit your mental health and one's going to benefit your physical health. And this is a good place to start. Now, finally, and this is what Emma and I were saying this morning, as much as we would love to give you all this advice and have you fix your binge eating like that, it ain't going to happen. This is something you can hear us say, and then you're going to have to work on. And it might take you weeks. It might take you months. Hopefully, it won't take you years. But you have to then go away and work on it yourself. Emma. Such good points. And like a couple of things I want to add is that I think you're right. It comes from a lot of the time. It comes from like years and years of dieting and thinking that these diets, quote unquote, work is in like, oh, yeah, like I've, I've had a conversation with so many people that are like, yeah, no, but I know I can stick to 1400 calories. I've done it before. And I'm like, all right, what, what happened after? Oh, I just <laughs> felt like I fell off track. Like after a couple of weeks, I couldn't do it anymore. Like so. And, right. So it's not worked. And like I think people think over restriction has an immediate overindulgence impact they're like no 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 no. I, I can do it I can do it when I'm in the zone and I'm like yeah but you can only stay in that zone for so long and that's what's causing the yeah. binge and it, it doesn't always happen within a week cycle this is why when people are like oh can I lower my calories we're like no because it will come <laughs> back like as much as you're like oh no I had 1400 calories on Tuesday and I was fine yeah but if you do that for a sustained period of time that restriction builds up and that's what causes like falling off the wagon or going on a binge or something like that. So that there are two like very distinct differences and, and Chloe just sort of pointed them out. And I think if you're trying to decide whether like which one is you and what kind of support you need, I think the real difference is the loss of control. Like if yeah. someone said you need to stop right now, it's almost like you feel like you can't. I think that's when you need to see like an eating disorder specialist or like a specialist in that area which I know is hard because I think a lot of people go to their GP and say, you know, I maybe they're a quote unquote healthy BMI, but they're like, I have, you know, I really struggle with binge eating. And they're like, don't really know because often you don't get them referred to the help that you need. Yeah. So I understand that it's hard, but I think you should push for that. And almost like on that point of something I was thinking about this morning is that sometimes problems like that, which are technically manageable, are actually worse than a bigger problem. So in this example, like to some extent, I'm almost hesitant to say this, but when I give other examples, you'll hopefully get what I mean. But to some extent, having like quote unquote full blown eating disorder would be better because you go and you get that help and you deal with it and you move on. You move on with your life forever. Whereas some people deal with binge eating for their whole adult life. And although it's not stopping them live or it's not, directly impacting their health now in the sense that we can see that that's a massive problem they're managing it to an extent it's having a huge impact on their life like if you look at yeah even if you think about like an injury like oh, okay so I've always had a bit of a niggly shoulder in some ways that's worse than like fully tearing a massive like part of your shoulder off and then having to go through the actual rehab process of fixing it because then you you are forced to make a change and you're forced to get that shoulder seen by a physio and go through the physio process rather than, nah, well, I just try it. Like if it's sore, I just have painkillers and it's been sore for the last five years. Like you're just managing the problem. So sometimes like it takes like 
a really big problem for people to change. But that doesn't mean that that has to be you. You can decide, I'm not happy living my life like this, where I'm, con you know, maybe I don't have an eating disorder, but I'm constantly thinking about food. I'm constantly worrying about food or worrying that I might binge. Go and see a specialist. Same with other mental health problems. Like, okay, so maybe I don't have full-blown clinical level anxiety disorder, but I'm really struggling at the moment. Okay, go and, go and get some professional help. Like you don't have to wait until the point where it's unbearable to go and get yeah. help. And in likelihood, like again, back to the injury example, because it's probably the easiest to get your head around. If you have a niggle, you go to the physio and you do, you know, you, you ease back for two weeks, then you, you probably never have to deal with that problem again. Whereas yeah. if you just put it off to the back, it's the same reason that we're saying, you know, if you do have coronavirus, please be seven days symptom free before you start exercising. I know that you could probably exercise before that, but you're probably going to prolong the problem. And would we rather yeah. you didn't exercise for an extra week or you actually spent months and months with some form of long COVID or like ongoing problems Like you just need to do what's important now as opposed to like live with something for a long period of time and I know that that's hard to do especially when you think oh I'm managing but I think that that is a really important thing yeah I love everything Emma just said it look I like I remember when I first started to get fucking bad anxiety and I think like because I was saying to people like, oh, I'm a bit anxious. Oh, I'm a bit anxious. I felt like I was dealing with it. And I think this is the same thing with the group and people being like, oh, I binge sometimes. Oh, and like telling Emma and I, that is definitely a good first step. But then I remember a time when my dad actually came to me and was like, okay, we're going to go see someone now because this is not okay. Like this is like, he would just wake up in the morning and come downstairs and find me in a heap of, on the floor in the kitchen, having a panic attack, crying. And he was like, well, I think we should probably deal with this now. And that's when I started to deal with it. And I think the absolutely great first step to, to stand up and be like, I have a problem, but okay. Then the responsibility, Emma and I can't fix it for you in the group, being in the group can't fix it for you. The responsibility then after a period of days or weeks comes to you to be like, okay, so now I'm going to go deal with it. And if it's not really behavioral, like we've just talked about, and it is very all consuming and unconscious in a way you need to go deal with it because Emma's right. What are you going to do? You're going to manage it and suffer for the rest of your life. No, go, like go figure it out. Um, and we're here to support you, but we um, can't fix it for you. I also think it's like, I have so much respect for people that do that as opposed to just think, oh, I just wait till it gets a little bit worse. Like it, asking for help is, is massive and like going yes, to the right person for doing that. But it doesn't, and when I say it's massive, like it doesn't have to be massive as in, a huge deal for you like you can be like, I've got a slight problem here I'm gonna fix it like it doesn't have to be like yeah. oh my god I need to go to therapy this is the what you know <laughs> I've reached rock bottom Not I'm at all. crazy like <laughs> catastrophizing everything like no you have a slight problem you're gonna deal with it and actually given that you've not waited to the point where it might get even worse it's probably not mm. gonna take that long to fix it like you're going to the uh, physio uh. because you've got a niggle as opposed to you're going there because you've now waited so long that your disc has completely sliced open your <laughs> your back I don't know like that's definitely I, know, I, I don't know I wouldn't know about okay. that because I would never that do that advice. it's an uninformed source um, no Emma's right guys like we'll move on from that but just lastly we're all human we all have some weird shit that we're going through and it's different for everybody like I tell you right now 
the shit that I have to go through in my head could not be more different from the shit that James has to go through. And I guarantee you every single person that you see, especially on Instagram, who is acting like they have all their shit together and they can tell you, I love these people who have no, no background whatsoever in therapy, writing self-help books right now. (laughs) That right there is a sign that there's a problem. So I'm going to say it's narcissistic personality disorder, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I would say, honestly, guys, like there's nothing wrong with being human and saying, actually, this is something I struggle with and going to get some help. Do it. Yeah, agreed. And I think what you'll find as well is that like when you were just talking about, yes, come out of a diet. Absolutely. But it's often and this isn't to say you shouldn't come out of the diet. Like first thing I would do is come out of a dieting phase, come at least to maintenance and start eating more frequently. But. Mm it's it's how you're thinking about things that Mm. is the impact there like if you like restriction is more of a feeling than a physical entity like two people can feel completely different on the same diet you might also feel restricted at maintenance so you could be like oh actually I realized it wasn't the total number of calories I was on it was tracking calories in general like that's what makes me feel restricted or you might discover something completely different. Oh, it was actually physical restriction and I was a bit too hungry and that's why I ended up binging. Like there are so many different causes, but it all comes back to like Chloe was saying, you know, you come up to hypertrophy maybe and a little bit of a surplus and then maybe we bring you down again when you feel ready. When you feel ready, it's going to be psychological. Like yeah. you need to be in a place where you can say, yeah, I can have whatever food I want to eat, but at the moment I'm choosing not to without that choice feeling restrictive that's yes. the difference so you're like yeah I'm making this choice because I want to and I don't feel restricted by it because I know that I could make a different choice if I wanted to so it all comes back to a change of mindset but as Chloe's saying like it and this is why we were almost I wouldn't say frustrated but just like talking about this this morning that if you, when we see questions like that on the Facebook group it's really hard to answer in a Facebook comment like our Facebook comment is not going to fix your binging. Like it takes time and it takes self-work and it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of like your own being introspective, asking yourself questions, figuring out what happens for you and why it happens for you. And we're obviously here to support that, but it's never going to be a simple answer of, Oh, right. That's the problem. Like here's the answer. And that's why Mm. we like answering on the podcast more because we've just spent, what, 10 minutes talking about that. And hopefully that gives you more of an insight into what's going to help you and and what you might need to do to help yourself. But Mm. it's very hard to put all that down in like a a succinct Facebook comment. (laughs) Perfect point to end on. I love that. Okay, right. Moving on. Uh, This week I've struggled. I've had the vaccine and I've really suffered uh, with bad side effects I was unwell for three days I still managed three workouts but steps have been low the main struggle at the moment is weighing myself and <clears throat> even taking measurements this is definitely a psychological problem but sometimes I can't get myself to do it as I get so anxious any tips on how to get past this um, as I'm not going to make any progress if I don't thank you and hope you have a nice week that isn't actually how it ended <laughs> <laughs> And hope you have a nice week. <laughs> Fine, well, just pretend it is. Um, first of all, I'm amazed that, that you're not feeling great and you've got three workouts but not steps. In all honesty, I'd rather that you got steps and not the workouts if you're feeling like hell. But hey-ho, we are where we are. Um, I would say, uh, yes, of course, much like we were just talking about, this is maybe something that you have to work to deal with and not something that Emma and I can fix for you. 
But listen, if you're in a sub, if you're having a suboptimal week in terms of illness, the vaccine, <laughs> that will very much be relevant to this place in time. Um, illness, hey, a vaccine, uh, menstrual cycle, whatever, and you're feeling anxious about weighing in or taking taking measurements, just don't do it. Hit the non-negotiables instead, right? And and again, like if you're ill, the non-negotiables would ideally be maybe maintenance calories um, and maybe steps if you can. Um, and hit the non-negotiables when you feel ready and recovered, have a great consistent full week of non-negotiables and then start weighing in again. I don't weigh in around Christmas when I know that I'm eating more and I'm, I don't want to feel bad about it. I want to enjoy myself. I don't weigh in on holiday scales in the hotel bathroom. Absolutely no interest. Never step on them unless I'm like on having like a photo shoot prep and I am on it on holiday, which rarely happens, but every now and again. Um, I don't weigh in when I, what's the point? What is the point? Like even on my menstrual cycle the week before, the scales will go up for me, typically anywhere between two to four kg the week before I'm on. Why would I carry on stepping on? I'll just wait till I'm off and crack on. So yeah, just don't do it. Uh, hit the non-negotiables and, and crack on, Emma. Yeah, just to emphasize like non-negotiables as in your step target, your calories, your workouts, that's what defines a successful week. Now, obviously mm -hmm. those change on weeks that you're unwell. Like if you've had the vaccine and you're not feeling well, then maybe mm -hmm. you just try and get your steps in, for example. But that's yeah. what defines a successful week. Even if the scales have gone up, like even if you're trying to lose weight, but the scales have gone up, that yeah. isn't what defines a successful week. Like I don't know how many times we can get that across, but what we care about is those targets because the scales yeah. will do what the scales are going to do. And over time, like longer period of time, they'll probably trend down if you're losing a significant amount of body fat. And this has yeah. come up loads of times in the group and like probably will continue to do so. But just getting really impatient about seeing results. And mm. these things take time. Like there's no yeah. way around that. And you need to stop looking at the destination of like, when will I see results? When will I see results? We don't really know exactly a time course of when you will see results, but we do know that if you stick consistently to these targets that we've given you, you will see results. You will. And you need yeah. to start enjoying the process of, okay, well, actually, I know that I'm feeling better. I'm fueling my body better. My workouts are feeling good. I'm getting all my steps in. I should feel accomplished for the fact that I'm ticking all these boxes off. Yeah, there's yeah. a. it's like so far down the list of things that are important that yeah it, maybe we should even get some way of getting people to focus on how they feel because that's yeah. like an immediate response of yeah I feel really good about the fact that I'm achieving all of these things which aren't easy especially right now like oh, especially God, yeah. during coronavirus and I, I put up a study yesterday showing uh, the results from this survey of like people's behaviors during during lockdown and it just made me so proud of like everyone in the EC method who's chosen yeah. to totally go against the grain like most people are exercising less most people are sitting more most people have put on weight most people are sleeping like more poorly like most of the behaviors are, are negative towards health yeah but you've all completely taken the opposite route and you've been like no I'm gonna make sure that I'm at least coming out of this as healthy as possible yeah and I love that I love that point Emma that's such an important point to make you will you know Back in the day when I first became a PT, there was a saying that, that a lot of PT said, and it was, you know, back in the day when Instagram was first becoming, especially for fitness, like a hub. This is like nine, no, God, it was less. It was a good few years ago. And like the go-to saying was always like, don't look at how far you have to go, look at how far you've come. 
And this saying has kind of fallen out of trend now. It's not something which you hear every day from PTs. But you know what? In the last like few weeks, I've been like, I've been on my fat, in my fat loss phase for like three weeks now. And of course, like, I'm like everybody else, we're all human. I'm like, oh, where am I at? <laughs> this is taking ages. But then I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm looking at the boxes I'm ticking every day compared to a few weeks ago when I had to take some time off of dieting because I just want, mentally wasn't right. And I definitely, we, me and James were drinking way too much. We were drinking every night. Well, not a lot, but every night is too much. And I'm like, hang on, I'm doing really fucking well. I've come, I've made huge strides and steps and I might not be able to see my abs yet, but I can guarantee you my training's better, my sleeping's better, my like, my mood is better. Not in the last week, I've been on my period and it's <laughs> been a nightmare. But like, I, this is a really good thing for you guys to all think about. Look at how far you've come and not how far you have to go and you just keep going and eventually you'll get there. I agree. And I think something else that's sort of come up a little bit in the group, maybe not in these exact words, but I actually think there was a comment that was just like, I'm just a bit bored of fat loss. Or like, I'm just a bit bored of like not seeing results yet. And my like counter to that is like fat loss isn't meant to be exciting. Your diet isn't really meant to be exciting. Like these are cool. You tick off these non-negotiables. They're not even really meant to be exciting. I mean, hopefully you enjoy the workouts and things, but it's like time is going to pass anyway do you want to be closer to your goals by doing these things yeah. or not and like yeah. you should be entertaining yourself with your life like things that you enjoy yeah. doing not yeah. with your diet necessarily or with fat loss or with like those kind of goals like that's how I always yeah. think about it like yeah okay you could decide to give up now but time's going to pass anyway doesn't really mm -hmm. matter how long it's taking like you're still getting closer to your goals Oh yeah, like preach. I say this as well, like to clients all the time. Like, you just hit the non-negotiables that I'm giving you, and then just get on with your life. This should not become your life. Like, and I know it's very easy. Trust me, okay. When when you get when like when you really do focus on that goal, it does become your life. But it certainly doesn't have to. Like, do what we're telling you and crack on. Like that's it. Like, and you can still eat nice food. You can still have a glass of your favorite wine. You can still you know, take a day off training and put your feet up. Like, come on, it's, it's, there's so much more to life than this. This is just kind of a really nice undertone to keep you, to get you where you want to go in the long run. Yeah, and well, like the whole point of this is that the rest of your life is better, not that it takes over your whole life. Yeah. Like you're doing yeah. this to make yourself feel better so that you can quote unquote live your best life. Um, best life. Which Victoria is doing. She says, results take time. I'm, oh no, wait, that's the wrong one I wanted to read out. She says, that is totally about how you feel. My mindset has changed so much. I'm so pleased I joined you in August. Yeah. Jenny's saying, I'm definitely guilty of this. I've been so fixated on that number on the scales and uh, that I was happy with, but need to remember that I'm feeling so much better than I did during the last lockdown. Exactly. I, I love that so many people are like, the comparison between that one and this one is like night and day. And that, it's, it makes Emma and I so happy because it means we're doing something good and worthwhile and that does not mean that somebody hits that 60 kg on the scale <laughs> yeah exactly it's and how you feel is always what matters most yeah agreed right okay well we will be back on Wednesday Wednesday yeah um okay guys bye bye <laughs>